Uh, we're currently recording. This is very impressive. Mm. You know, I think we should just. Uh, <laughs> I think we should just go ready to the banter. like you've decided to join us today uh, welcome to know it all with tay and k i'm tay i'm k and today we're just gonna get straight to the point usually i have a cute little anecdote mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not gonna do that this time. i actually did prepare a cute little anecdote uh and i think it's um i, don't, I just think we should it's, skip it it's it's a bit too revealing so today we're just gonna st- discuss a pretty controversial topic maybe our most controversial tay and k yet blimps the submarine of the sky. Now, you may say to yourself, why did they pronounce blimp in such a cute manner? And we'd simply chuckle also cutely at your blimp ignorance. Blignorance. Of course. You see, blimps, unlike their rigid cousin, the Zeppelin, are soft and pliable. When they inevitably collide with one another in their hangar, blimps do not erupt into flames, but harmlessly bounce off one another, making the characteristic sound blimp. It's onomatopoetic. It's poetic. Blimps are like flying poems. There's no denying that. Didn't deny. And just to be clear, blimps keep their shape solely with lighter-than-air gas or hot air. Blimps are so simple that 98% of their moving parts can be found in their steering columns, and the other 2% are the hinges of the gondola's door. They're very easy to pilot. Whereas a Zeppelin, dirigible, or airship has an internal structure within the hull to keep its form, allowing airships to become monolithic in proportions nearly impossible to pilot and very explodey. Now, we're going to use the term blimp and airship and Zeppelin almost interchangeably throughout this episode, so just bear with us and get used to the nationality. For instance, if it's German, it's probably a Zeppelin. Otherwise, we're talking blimp. Most likely. So, Kevin. Yes? I'd like you to take a journey with me. Always, would, yeah, where to? Into your imagination. Rad. Imagine you are in the German military in World War I. Mm, the prequel. You begin the day like any good Bavarian, with a dry, salted pretzel and a large stein of colch for dipping. You go through your regimen of now comically outdated exercises, eat a few meals, smoke a few packs of cigarettes, give a few hiles to the Kaiser, and take a ceremonial shot of brandy. And a little bit later, you find yourself ascending just like a silent elevator into the sky aboard a rugged, rigid airship the size of Frankfurt. Where are we going? I'm going to London, baby. Is this the historic London bombing we are reliving here? Yeah, indeed. A short 14-hour float later, and we arrive. Wow. You ready yourself by the gondola window, uh-huh. and you wait for your orders. You observe as the captain and his first mate befuddledly glance from map to the clouds below, back to the map. Removing his cap to scratch the scalp under his comb-over. And finally, with a defeated sigh, the captain would declare, you've reached the target. Maybe. Or somewhere near your target. Maybe. Or somewhere way off course. Interesting. You and the bomb arm share a few wise cracks to distract you both from the impending murders in your future. What's a bomb arm? Oh, it's a, the blimpadeer's assistant. Oh. Blimpadeer? A bombardier on a blimp. Mm. And since the equipment necessary to remotely drop a bomb is just too heavy to lift with a blimp, the blimpadeer would simply just drop them by hand. Makes sense. The captain gives you your orders. Your trusty bomb arm opens the gondola window. The whole thing is unpressurized, so it's silent. 
Just the dull hum of propellers whirling. You pick up the bomb. You rest it on the sill. Half in, half outside. The bomb arm arms it. And you quickly shove it through the window. And when you do so, you feel the whole vessel jolt upwards. The wheelman pitches forward to compensate and avoid elevating directly into space. Or popping. Or exploding. Airships were in constant danger of exploding. Not only because they were filled with flammable gases. Even helium balanets burst into flames for entirely different reasons. Yeah. Blimps are, the without a doubt, the worst of the idea man has ever had. What? What? I thought you loved blimps. What made you think that? Well, you were so engaged in our thought experiments. I'm always engaged in our thought experiments. I have a very vivid imagination. You know this. True, but if you look at the rich history of blimps, I think you'll find that behind all their flaws, you'll find a magnificent achievement. Flight. Flight is certainly magnificent, but yeah. we can credit that to the Montgolfier brothers and their splendid hot air balloon. God rest their souls. And we can credit the magnificence of contemporary flight to the Wright brothers, but blimps? I think you're giving them a bad rap. I don't think I've been nearly hard enough on them. I can rap all day. Have you ever been on a blimp? No, and I've heard it's quite difficult. I've written Goodyear tires twice a week for 16 years straight, and I've never received an invitation to ride. Good! I like you, safe and sound, on the ground, unexploded. Thanks. If you think it's hard to get a ticket for a blimp, just chew on this for a minute. In order to pilot a blimp, an aviator needs a litany of accolades and accomplishments. We acquired a comprehensive list by the Aviation Society of Southern European States, describing the bare minimum it takes to be considered even to skipper a blimp. This is a hefty list. It's more of a novel. So we're just going to give you a little taste of what is required. One. Candidate must have 10,000 hours of commercial and 10,000 hours of combat flight time. Standard. I think we can all agree that anyone who pilots a highly flammable, highly poppable balloon should know how to handle a dogfight. Two. Candidate must have performed a barrel roll during a sold-out commercial flight. Uh, three. Candidate must have eaten the entirety of a ground-up remains of a small prop plane baked into a souffle. Four. Candidate must have baked said souffle. It's odd, but, I mean, they only want the best. Needless to say, these are elite skysmiths, so if you somehow find yourself on a blimp, now or in the near future, you may want to avoid asking a steer. How do you know that? <laughs> it's just what I heard. From who? I don't know. Wait, are you telling me you know someone who has been on a blimp? I don't know. That's what it sounds like. Maybe I heard it from somebody whose friend was on a blimp. Oh, so from a friend of a friend. Yeah. Like a he said, she said sort of thing. Yes. That's not credible. That's not a credible source. Everyone listening, please disregard that last comment. If, by the grace of God, you are on or will soon be aboard an airship of any kind, please do not think it poor form to ask the pilot to steer. I was kind of making a joke. And it kind of totally bombed and left a crater I now have to dig us out of. How do you dig out of a hole? Are you serious? It's certainly not being sarcastic. Well, thank goodness for that. But trust me, if you can't figure out how to dig yourself out of a crater, you don't deserve to get out. I guess if the situation arose, I could probably figure it out. I believe in you. Thanks. Well, I, I believe in blimps. And I would love to preach to you the good word of blimps after a brief word from our sponsors. Hey, Jim, take a load off. You've been relieved for the day. But, boss, how are we going to redirect traffic away from this collapsed bridge without another person? <laughs> no problem. Check it out. What the heck is that? <laughs> it's your new co-worker. Say hello to Tammy, the traffic cone. Let's give the old broad a whirl, shall we? Get in the truck. If you say so, boss. Whoa! It's redirecting cars just by being... 
big and orange. How much that run you back? A lot, but uh, it'll save me even more. How? You're fired, that's how. Cohen's got it covered. Wow, cost efficient and garishly colored? I can't wait to get home and tell my wife about this exciting new development in urban planning. Traffic cones. Yeah, they'll do. The writers of history books have made it their mission to not only obliterate the mighty airship from the record books, but also to ensure that their development has been discontinued. I don't think that's fair. I think history itself has played a part in it. Zeppelins have a tendency to explode. Okay, for all... Almost no reason, yes. But planes crash as well. It's a shame they don't immediately burst into glorious flame. You know, those extra moments of praying, waiting for the plane to just crash already, giving you a false shred of hope. Those are the cruelest of them all. Look, I'm not going to argue with you about the horror of being in a plane crash. I think about dying in an airship all the time. It seems like one of the most humane ways to go. It's number four on my preferred methods of demise list. It's how my grandfather went. Lucky. Let's talk about speed, though. You said earlier a float from Germany to London would take 14 hours. That's a three-hour plane flight, tops. Uh, surely there are other metrics for transport quality besides speed. I mean, sure, planes can move quickly, but can they move with style? Can they move with grace? Can they move with comfort? That's uh, no. Every stand-up comedian in the world has commented on the tininess of commercial jets and how comically small everything is. The pillows, the legroom, the peanuts. Peanuts are illegal on planes now. I know. I was tackled by a U.S. Marshal on my last flight to Boise, all for cracking open a sleeve of planters. No one would ever think to tackle you on a blimp. Too much motion in one direction could put the blimp into an unstoppable barrel roll. This only proves my point further. Planes may be uncomfortable, <laughs> certainly, yeah. but did you consider that... That blimps demand patience and grace from their passengers? I mean, even third-class Zeppelin passengers got unlimited free soft pretzels and beer. And one commercial airline includes gentlemanly games of scale as part of the in-flight entertainment. Try playing snooker on a 747. I did. When I flew home from Boise last month. And? Well, no one said anything, but I received a number of harsh looks. And what was the food like? I had a Greek salad. Yeah? With one olive. One olive? One olive. See? Blimps are like titanic cucumbers, swimming gracefully through the sky, seemingly without effort. Blimps are classy. They're at the head of the class. Top banana. And helicopters? Hold on. I have very strong feelings about helicopters, and I don't want to upset the balance here. So on three, let's just say how we feel about helicopters and move on without further comment, okay? Got it. Okay, one, one two, three. Fuck, fuck helicopters. helicopters! Look, I love a good cruise. Who doesn't? But I personally am willing to sacrifice comfort in, for convenience, especially when my life is potentially on the line. Do you remember the Sears Roebuck Build-It-Yourself Home Blimp Kit? Oh, sure do. Right, my grandfather had one. Was supposed to bring blimp travel to the masses, but cheap vinyl balloons and shoddy craftsmanship a selling point was that it could be put together with nothing more than a phillips head screwdriver mm. and their default color sky blue left a lot of families at serious risk of goose attack during the ensuing migration season modern blimps shred through geese yeah but not these old school mass-produced invisible counterparts even a mighty aeroplane is going to fold to an onslaught of goose cadavers and a blimp would pop instantly if it came into contact with even a small airplane look one vehicle can rule the skies, and that vehicle is the sleek, 
loud, sexy airplane. Let me ask you something. How do blimps stay afloat? Lighter than air gas. And if you want a blimp to fly faster or higher, what would you do? Throw third-class passengers from the gondola to lighten the load. That's pretty much your only option. Airplanes, however, function according to the principles of lift. They demand a scientific, rational mind to design and operate them. Look, we would have never reached space without the scientific advances made by airline companies. Airship manufacturers, however, had to scramble to keep up with the rapid progression of wing-based travel. Nonsense. Airship designers have been hard at work since the late 18th century, designing luxurious airborne wonders which can only be described as works of art. Sure, blimps and their creators can be... eccentric. I will admit that to you. But Kevin... What must every plane you ride eventually do? Make me contemplate my mortality. Yeah, but... Land. They have to land. But a blimp or a zeppelin once once launched may never need to touch the scurrilous ground ever again. Take the most successful blimp ever developed. James P.G. Tooley III's custom-made latex zeppelin, otherwise known as the Plane Eater, has been roaming the sky since 1948, picking off small non-commercial aircraft with one of its many capture claws and incinerating them, driver and all, for fuel. Undetectable by radar and painted in cloud camouflage, Tooley's airborne nightmare is supposedly still out there, waiting for a Piper trainee to wander into the wrong cloud bank. That is pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. Planes are not perfect, but what other option do I have? I mean, we've already detailed how difficult it is to even get a brief ride on a blimp. Well, at this point, your only option for personal transportation would be the jetpack. Hold on. I have very strong feelings about jetpacks as well, so same thing as we did with helicopters. Don't even say that word. One, two, three. Love Love jetpacks. Knew it. I wish we could get some jetpack sponsorship. I mean, a quick word to any jetpack manufacturers out there. You are welcome to as much free and space as you would like on our next podcast at the low cost of one jetpack ride. Two jetpack rides? Oh, right. Two jetpack rides per 30 seconds of airtime. In the meantime, we'll have to settle for a word from our flightless sponsors. Ugh. Hey, what's the problem? It's this carbonated water. Is it too strong? It's too thin. If only I could have a more viscous beverage. Well, why didn't you say so? What's this? Why, it's high fructose corn syrup. Just one tiny rip in the corner of the pouch and squeeze it into any beverage. How's it taste? However you want. Just add any of an endless array of artificial flavors and the syrup automatically absorbs its essence and disseminates it through its volume. Like a noxious cloud. You got it. What about those idiots who say that high fructose corn syrup is bad for you? No, Kevin, they're not idiots. They're just blinded by fear. High fructose corn syrup has been proven again and again to have several dozens even of uses for all sorts of things which all make for a healthy life. Wow, I'm sold. Can I have my pouch back? Sorry, friend. You'll have to get your own. Hey, now. High fructose corn syrup. And everything you love, even mom, dad, and the dog. Using your persuasive talents, you have revealed to me that while it has great speed, the aeroplane is not without its flaws. Mm -hmm. Conversely, while the airship is riddled with flaws and lacks speed, it is not an aircraft without merit. Certainly. Even their reputation as death dealers... Both accidental and intentional... ...cannot tarnish their lustrous sheen. Here's a quote from Nigel Thistlebottom, an English farmer whose fields, mistaken for the city of London on a cloudy day, were bombed by the Germans during World War I. In the midst of tilling the mud, a thunderous roar shook the ground. 
Thinking it merely the footsteps of a pesky giant come to steal my heifers, I turned around to see my sheep stampeding from a black cloud of soot, some of them flopping through the air like so much flotsam. I shifted my gaze upward to see what could only be described as a great grey phallus penetrating the clouds, slipping through them like a set of bosoms through a tight sweater. They rained explosives upon my crops with no concern for where they may land, when suddenly they stopped their assault and stood still for a moment before turning around and lumbering south in an awkward, almost apologetic fashion. The odor of gunpowder and soft pretzels lingered in the air. Fear was struck in the remaining herd, but for me, Bertha, and little Ian, the sight was nothing short of astonishing. See? Even those affected directly by the bombings would suffer through another just to gaze upon it again. The Zeppelin stood for a period of time. Like two weeks. Okay. As the most sophisticated, beautiful, and deadly war machines ever created. Even more beautiful than Napoleon's famed Fabergé cannonballs. In order to punish the Germans, appended to the Treaty of Versailles was a strict worldwide ban on the further development of airships of any kind. This was at the urging of Woodrow Wilson, my third favorite wartime president. That's what they want you to think. Uh, I think I know my wartime presidents, Taylor. No, just... You see, Woodrow Wilson was simply a puppet in a much larger plan to squash a potentially formidable business competitor. The man pulling the strings was a young upstart named William E. Boeing. Boeing? Like, Boeing? Boeing? He's not a puppeteer. I think I know my puppeteers, Taylor. Okay, Boeing was 37 at the time and had dedicated his life solely to aviation, specifically the airplane. He helped sponsor the Wright brothers, designed fighters for the American military, and was more than a little threatened by the presence of the airship. Check out this quote from Woodrow Wilson's autobiography, What Woodrow Do? William launched into the Oval Office, his Tom Collins spilling over his hand and sleeve as he was wont to do. Before I could usher the cabinet out, he had begun, with much vulgarity, to lambast the airship, not for the treachery they had unleashed upon Britannia, but for the audacity of their inception. Left alone with Vice President Marshall and myself, Bowen's rage turned to tears as he groveled at my knees, begging me to rid the world of them, as if I was an accommodating parent. No sooner had Marshall suggested Bowen take a shower and sober up than the vice president's face was drenched in Tom Collins and pockmarked with glass. Now acquainted with the carpet, Marshall's head rest firmly under Bowen's eager boot. He took one quick look at me, raised his other Tom Collins to strike, and no more needed to be said. I knew at that moment the pork I must squeeze into the impending treaty. I nodded, and he left, stealing a carafe of Elijah Craig on the way out. I had no idea Boeing was such a volatile man. Only a truly godless man could perfect a machine which so blatantly defies the most basic laws of physics. What do you mean? Planes weigh more than air. They should not fly. Period. You can point out to me all the finer points of wing shape and the principles of lift and fluid dynamics, but you would be wrong. Trust us, we know a thing or two about gravity. A blimp, on the other hand, is graceful and uncomplicated. Any child that's ever had a helium balloon gifted to them understands the principles of airship flight. The more I learn of blimps, the more I mourn the abundance of airplanes. I feel like all of us born into the world of the aeroplane have been greatly cheated. It's like learning the Egyptians invented the steam engine but stifled its development in favor of the... of... The... Slave engine. The slave engine. Yeah. 
we've really been blessed to be able to indulge in the rich history of blimps, and we could spend hours talking about them, but I think that we've done enough to pique your curiosity and hopefully send you sprinting to your local airport bookstore. But before you do that, we have a few other cool facts we, we just had to share with you. Blimps can be collapsed, folded, and transported with ease. All blimps are carefully creased to ensure easy folding. The Goodyear blimp is flown into all its football stadium appearances via plane and inflated in the parking lot. The highest floating blimp was NASA's G-42, which was hoped to be used for space travel. It was the size of Rhode Island and made it to the upper stratosphere like before springing a leak, causing it to rocket uncontrollably through the atmosphere for six hours like an untied balloon, producing a sound described as, quote, loud and farty, end quote, which could be heard around the world. Zeppelins may have been prone to exploding mid-flight, but were actually more likely to explode during construction. Hmm. The German military estimated that only about 23% of the Zeppelins built were ever finished. The others combusted, sometimes taking out other Zeppelins in the process, and in one instance, an entire military base. Piloting a blimp is extremely easy and often boring, so pilots will often take up hobbies to amuse themselves during the abundant downtime. The most popular activities are darts, needlepoint, knitting, knife-throwing, and jousting. Blimps produce no pollution. A blimp's engine's steaming exhaust is usually funneled directly into its balloon. A few famous registered Zeppelin owners. Uh, here we are. There are only a few. Sean Penn, Bernie Madoff, Aaron Sorkin, Bjork. Tom York, and Robert Bork. President Dwight D. Eisenhower was the only American president to own an airship. The rest leased or rented. The sitting mayor of Las Vegas is entitled to the town blimp. And the curtain comes down on that one. I just think that we owned that. Blimps. Yeah. I wish we did own a blimp. So there you have it, folks. Blimps. blimps. Taylor, I got a special piece of mail for you here today. You Wonderful. ready for this? Thank, okay. you. Thank you. Dear Tay and Kay, I've been a fan of your podcast since the episode on candy. Thank you. Your research is pretty thorough, and your uh, your efforts to highlight rare topics of interest are commendable. But I must admit that your most recent episode's fact-checking could have used some work. For example, you claimed that Socrates spoke to Pope Pius and the youth of Firo, but this is impossible. Socrates existed before Christ. How can you have a pope without Christ? You guys sure can whip up some cornbread, so stick with that instead of whipping up malarkey. If you're in need of a fact checker, please send me a, a see my attached resume. Oh, that's what this that's is. Pretty. I thick. understand that you're quite busy, so for a reasonable per diem, I'd be happy to take on the task. I look forward to hearing from you. Professionally yours, Lyle Cornforth. Professionally? Lyle, if you really feel like you are a, quote, professional fact-checker, you would have listened to our podcast about sarcasm again and again, as I'm sure many of our listeners have, and you would have noticed that we said Pope Pius. Not THE Pope Pius, but Pope Pius. Yes, Pope Pius lived before Christ indeed. And that's and, fine. That's and at okay. the time he lived, the term piety didn't even exist. Nor did the term pope. We but never said it did. He was such a spiritual man that after his death, the term piety was coined. And after Christ died and the Church of Catholicism needed was, a name for its, its pontifex. Yeah, the most, at this point, pious man, they thought, why don't we name this position, this title? Pope. So, you're going to give us this rather uh, thick fact checker resume uh, yes. first of all one sheet of paper please second of all uh you're printing on just standard eight and a half by 11 bond when you should really be using like a thick cardstock cream glitter 
probably with a Verdana. So if, if you're gonna be trying to send out your resume to get a job as a fact checker, check your facts, Jack. And that about tears it. Yeah, I think that about does it. That's about it. Uh, so, uh, thanks for listening. Yes. Yeah, know it all with Tay and Kay. Always Smith. thank you. Uh, I'm Tay. I'm Kay. And join us next week when we discuss the space race. This episode of Know It All with Tay and Kay was brought to you by Canada. <laughs>